What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. we return to our American stories. On February 12, 1809, two men were born who would end up being considered among the top thinkers of their time. Both men valued science and technology, were controversial among many of their contemporaries, and both fundamentally changed the course of history. But that's where the comparisons stop. One of these men was English scientist Charles Darwin, the other was President of the United States. Here to tell the story is David J. Kent, author of Lincoln, The Fire of Genius. But first, a reading of Lincoln's own words. Let's get into the story. All creation is a mine, and every man a miner. The whole earth, and all within it, upon it, and around it, including himself, in his physical, moral, and intellectual nature, and his susceptibilities, are the infinitely various leads from which man, from the first, was to dig out his destiny. 
In the beginning, the mine was unopened, and the miners stood naked and knowledgeless upon it. Fishes, birds, beasts, and creeping things are not miners, but feeders and lodgers merely. Beavers build houses, but they build them in no wise differently or better now than they did 5,000 years ago. Ants and honeybees provide food for winter. Man is not the only animal who labors, but he is the only one who improves his workmanship. This improvement he effects by discoveries and inventions. His first important discovery was the fact that he was naked, and his first invention was the fig leaf apron. Abraham Lincoln Lincoln and Darwin were born the same day, literally the same day, but under very different circumstances. You know, Darwin was born into a wealthy family of privilege and he married into a wealthy family of privilege. Lincoln was born on a small subsistence farm in northern Kentucky on the frontier. It was just his father, his mother, him, an older sister. There was a younger brother, Thomas, who only lived for a couple of months. I mean, very limited as far as how many acres that they could clear for planting crops, because there just wasn't the people to do it. There weren't a lot of schools. There weren't a lot of even other people. There wasn't even a town there. So they left that when Lincoln was seven and moved across the border into Indiana. And Indiana is important for a couple of reasons. One, because in Kentucky, there was slavery. And Indiana, literally when they moved there, was just becoming a state within a few weeks. And it was a free state. So that was part of the reason. The more important reason was because Thomas Lincoln, his father, had lost his farm. And he went through two or three farms in Kentucky because other people would come and say, you don't own that land, or the person that you bought the land from didn't own it. There was a lot of land title problems in Kentucky. There wasn't in Indiana. It had been planned out much better. He ended up on a farm, then stayed there for the next 14 years. So it was much more stable. And there were other people. There was a small village where they could get help. They could plant crops, but it was still very small. And Lincoln was still primarily the, the main labor with his father, even at seven years old. He says at seven, and he was very tall and strong for his age, he says that uh, he was handed an ax and very rarely put down that most useful instrument for the next 15 years. And where they moved to was an unbroken forest, a dense forest with many, 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 many different kinds of trees, a lot of undergrowth. So he learned about tree ecology, he learned about agronomy, he learned about weather, he learned about hydrology. He was picking up little sciences along the way. But when he actually became a congressman, his one term in Congress, he had to fill out like a questionnaire for the congressional record, you know, about you. When he gets to the question about what your education is, he just writes one word, defective. He says when he's running for president, he writes an autobiography and he says that the totality of his formal education was less than a year. And that's over the first 21 years of his life. He's doing a total of less than a year you know, week here, one class here, maybe a couple of months, 
You could only go to school in the frontier during the winter because from the time you start plowing the fields until the time after you finish harvesting and sell off any excess and store whatever you've grown, you don't have time to go to school. You're basically working for survival. You know, if your crops are wiped out, you may starve. There was very little to inspire learning. Most of the other people his age, his peers, weren't inspired to do more. They would go along and follow their, in their father's footsteps and run the farms. They aspired to anything it would be to get their own acreage and plant their own farms and raise their own families and continue the traditions. And the standards for teachers were very different than they were in the East. If somebody said that they could read and write and cipher to the rule of three, then they were a teacher. And if they claimed that they could speak some Latin, they are considered a wizard. But he literally, like my father would have said, you know, we walk five miles to school, uphill in both directions and <laughs> in the snow. Lincoln, not so much the uphill in both directions, but he did that to get the little schooling that he got. And in this little bit of schooling here and there, he says he learned reading, writing, and ciphering to the rule of three which is a, a very simple math uh, ratio. And that's basically what he says he learned. So that was the formal part, but he really learned most of what he learned on his own. So early on, he's reading what everybody read on the frontier and pretty much everywhere else. He read the Bible. For many people, that was the only book they had access to. He read things like Pilgrim's Progress and Aesop's Fables, so very typical things that people would read. And then he would borrow whatever books he could find. Anybody who had you know, a library, which meant like three books, he would borrow and he would read whatever he could do. And if he had it for a while, he would read it over and over and study it. And he memorized a lot of things, including poems, and he has very good memory throughout his entire life. His best friend, Joshua Speed, says, well, you can read this, these things and you'll pick them up right away. And Lincoln said, no, Speed, you're wrong. My mind is like a piece of steel. It takes a very long time to etch anything into it. But once you get it there, it's very hard to remove it. So he would study these things and run it over in his head over and over. And once he did, it was very hard to get it out of there. He had an extremely good memory where he could remember people he met and their families and the circumstances 20, 30 years later. He actually learned quite a bit more than people give him credit for. He downplayed his learning. Uh, he wanted to be like the real splitter candidate. But on his own, he studied several different grammar books, different arithmetics, trigonometry, mathematics. When he becomes a surveyor, he has to learn the math behind surveying. So he teaches himself uh, Euclid geometry, which is about logic as much as it is about math. And he teaches himself the law just by reading law books without working with anybody. He just teaches himself all of this. So he is learning constantly, and he did that throughout his entire life. And you've been listening to author David J. Kent tell the story of the young Abraham Lincoln, who was born, go figure, on the same day 
that Darwin was born. And what a story he tells about why the family moved from Kentucky, which was originally home, to Indiana. Property rights matter, and there was not stable title in Kentucky, and in Indiana there was, and what a world of difference stable and secure title would mean to this family. When we come back, more of the remarkable story of the young Lincoln and how he came to be here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we return to Our American Stories and our story of Abraham Lincoln with David J. Kent, author of Lincoln, The Fire of Genius. When we last left off, David was telling us about Lincoln's early life and how despite being born into conditions, quote, unfit for learning, those conditions being a subsistence farm in Kentucky, he was able to become a learned man by borrowing books attending one year of formal education, and getting hands-on life experience. Let's continue with the story. Here again is David J. Kent. 
as he grew up, he got a chance to get out on his own, which you couldn't do until you were 21. Up until that time, you were effectively indentured to your family, your parents. And even though his father would hire him out, all of the money that he earned doing that would go right back to his father. So around the age of 22, he said, I'm off on my own, like I'm finished with this. I'm gonna, I, I don't like being on the farm. I don't like working this hard. I wanna be thinking more and, and doing things that involve my intelligence, not my, my brawn. And he started on his own in New Salem, Illinois. But he didn't have, outside of farming, very many options. So he became a storekeeper because that was one of the first options that popped up. He ended up running a store with another guy till it went bankrupt, winked out in his mind. So he looked and said, what else is available? Well, I can get this postmaster job because postmaster is not that important, especially out here. Plus, hey, postmaster, all these people get newspapers and I can read the newspaper before I deliver it to the person. All of those things, especially Postmaster, kind of dovetailed with another career he had started being in politics. And it's very much a part-time thing back then. Only a few months a year that you were actually in session. While he was in the state legislature, he started meeting the other legislators and many of them were lawyers. They were telling him, well, you know, you really need to study the law. You're here in the legislature writing laws. You probably should study the law so that you know what you're writing. And he thought that was a good idea. So he started learning, teaching himself the law. The first thing you've got to keep in mind is that the Eastern and Western law could be very different in those times. Uh, William Seward, for example, who uh, had been governor of New York and was senator, he had grown up in a wealthy family, gone to formal schools, went to college, went to law school, and he passed the bar exam. And that was fairly typical in the East. In the West, many people did what Lincoln did, which is you read the law. It's exactly the way it sounds. You get law books, and you read them and you learn the law that way by looking at these past cases, what precedents there were. Out in the West, there wasn't a lot of precedent for a lot of the issues. Plus, a lot of the issues were very small. Divorces and debt collection, things like that. So it was more about, can you convince a jury as opposed to, do you get the law exactly right? <laughs> and Lincoln was very good convincing juries. He rode the circuit, so he'd ride out throughout most of the central part of Illinois, go from county courthouse to courthouse, and just pick up whatever cases were there. And usually they would just sit there for six months until the lawyers get there, and then they would do the cases, and they would go through like 20 cases in a day. And Lincoln would say, okay, what's your issue? And they would explain it, and then he'd say, okay, let's go talk to the jury, and then it would be done in half an hour. And Lincoln's law career kind of progressed in tandem with the way science and technology progressed, especially as it moved more westward. He very much was aware of the growth of technology. 
He didn't see it early on because he's out there again in the frontier. He was born in 1809. Up until 1804, the country stopped at the Mississippi River. It wasn't until 1848, after the Mexican War, that we got all of the rest of that territory out to the West Coast. So Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, this was still the frontier and it was slowly moving its way west. With that came the technology. So there were steamboats earlier in the Hudson River. Beginnings of railroads were in the east. I mean, everything started in the east and worked its way west. So at first, Lincoln never saw any of this. It was when he, when he was still living in Indiana, when he was 19 years old, he and a couple others took a flatboat down to New Orleans. So they go down the Ohio River, beat the Mississippi River, and then all the way to New Orleans. New Orleans was this big eye-opener for him. It's a huge city compared to anything he's seen before. It's multicultural, multinational, multilingual. There are peoples of all shades and all languages and a huge commerce. And he would have seen all these steamships uh, servicing the port. He also saw slave markets, which he hadn't really experienced. There was a, a road that went past their farm in Kentucky that was the main road for people in like Virginia sending uh, enslaved people further south into the deep south where the cotton states. So he, would, he was, had some experience with slavery, but not really that much. And then suddenly it was like, you're, you're buying and selling people. He realized there's a lot more to the world. There were some other things on the second flatboat trip I'll, I'll mention. He is going starting in, the, in Illinois on the Sangamon River, which is a very small, windy river. And the flatboat gets stuck on the mill dam out in uh, New Salem. And he has to get over that dam. But later on in Congress, the one term in Congress, and he's coming back, and he's going through the Great Lakes. He goes up to Buffalo and goes to Niagara Falls and sees Niagara Falls, which he writes this great piece about. But then he works his way by steamship back to Chicago. And before he gets to Chicago, he sees another steamship that is stuck on the shallows. And the captain has sent the crew overboard. They're sticking boards and empty barrels and whatever they can to help make this thing float a little bit. He remembers his own getting stuck on the mill dam. And he realizes that there's a need for a way to help boats get over these shoals. And he sits down in between the two sessions of Congress and devises up this patent. The patent is for a device for getting boats over shoals. And it effectively uh, uses what we in science call the Archimedes principle. You know, the idea behind buoyancy and displacement. And that if you can get something that's lighter than water under the hull, you can raise the hull enough to get it over any obstruction. And he did that by having these inflatable bladders that could be lowered and inflated either by hand pumping or by steam to raise the boat up just enough to get it over this shoal. So when he went back to Congress for the second session, he brought this to a patent lawyer in Washington, D.C., and he got it submitted. And he still to this day is the only president with a patent. He made zero attempt to commercialize this. Nobody else tried to commercialize it. 
But the system itself is actually the system that's used today by the Navy to help get ships and submarines, you know, lifted off the, the ocean floor when they're, they're sinking. And you've been listening to author David J. Kent. His book, Lincoln, The Fire of Genius, well, it's about one simple thing. Lincoln was a lifelong learner, and he drove himself to learn almost everything he learned, including science and technology. When we come back, more of this remarkable life story, the story of our 16th president, here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we return to Our American Stories and the final portion of our story on Abraham Lincoln with David J. Kent, author of Lincoln, The Fire of Genius. When we last left off, David was telling us about how, despite not having much in the way of a resume, Lincoln was able to become the owner of a shop, a postmaster, a part-time politician, and eventually a lawyer. And not by going to law school, mind you, but by reading the law. Let's pick up where we last left off with Lincoln riding the legal circuit. 
As he was riding a circuit, he saw that farming was going from a simple, you know, a wooden plow behind a horse to cast iron plows to eventually steel plows. But then you started seeing more technology, things called reapers, these mechanical devices, machinery, which were used to collect wheat and corn and those were being patented. And there were often cases where somebody would patent a reaper and somebody else would copy it and hope that the original guy would notice, but they usually did and they would sue each other. So there were plenty of cases like that that Lincoln started seeing. Uh, there's a famous one that Lincoln was in called the Manny McCormick Reaper trial, where Lincoln actually, in the end, it's a longer story than we have time for, but you know, in the end, Lincoln basically got cut out of it and didn't get to argue the case. But he had researched the differences between these two different Reapers that had been developed by two different men and de determined the differences between them. And his arguments eventually were the arguments that were used when it finally got settled. There were more and more and more of these types of things happening and that made more and more cases for, for Lincoln. And he quickly got a reputation as being very good at being able to handle these because he loved technology, he loved to like pick things apart and you know, take it apart and see how it worked. One of the other big areas that he did was railroad type cases. The railroads were working their way west and getting bigger and bigger and more and more intrusive. And he ended up put on retainer for the Illinois Central Railroad for several years, fought many cases for them, but also worked for other railroads in Illinois. And there were quite a few different private companies that were railroads, not like Amtrak today. There were 50 different companies with short rail lines. But he also worked for railroad workers. He set significant precedents, both for labor rights and for corporation rights. So not only was he really big watching and paying attention to all of these new developments and technology, it became a major part of his income from his legal career. There's a particular case called the Effie Afton. Effie Afton is the name of a steamship in the Mississippi River. And up to this point, the steamships were the prime mechanism for commerce. At one point, this Effie Afton left St. Louis going north, and it gets to an area called Rock Island, just across from what's Davenport, Iowa today. And it promptly runs into a railroad bridge that had only been in service for about two weeks. It's the very first railroad bridge across the Mississippi River. The Effie Afton runs into it, catches fire, it burns down to the hull and sinks, damages the bridge so it can't be used for a while. And then the steamship companies sue the railroad companies and the bridge company because they put an obstruction across the water. And Lincoln digs deep into this case. He goes up there, he learns the engineering, he calculates the speed of the river and the speed of the steamship. By this time, he had become a steamship pilot himself on the Sangamon River. And he convinces most of the jury that it was most likely not the bridge was an obstruction, but it was either negligence or intentional to try to block bridges from being built across the Mississippi River. 
Lincoln more or less wins this case and it sets a precedent that allows the railroads to build many other bridges across Mississippi River. Totally changes how we do commerce in this country. Instead of going north and south on the Mississippi on the steamships, it's now directly east-west all the way out to the west coast from railroads. Railroads, to even today, are the prime mechanism for moving long-distance produce and, and different products around the country. He clearly understood more than most people know. His colleagues, they understood that Lincoln was different. He had a scientific mind. He understood technology better than anybody. That mentality becomes very important in the Civil War. You know, the North and the South just hated each other and they were fighting a war. But Lincoln, being kind of the guy in the middle, was saying, I have a more important role. I need to resolve this so that the Union stays together. That was his thinking, and he was analyzing everything to determine the best steps that he could take in order to make that happen. Even things like the Emancipation Proclamation, he couldn't just say, okay, I'm gonna get rid of slavery everywhere. He had to be very careful about how he did it so that he didn't lose the border states, those four slave states that stayed with the Union. If he said, well, I'm gonna ban slavery in your states, they would have very quickly gone and joined the Confederacy and, and that would have been the end of the United States. So he was very much that logical, thoughtful thinker that could work through a lot of different issues. On a more specific level, he very much encouraged technology development. Uh, there were plenty of old school uh, military people who said, just give me a bunch of muskets. They're easy to use. We can mass produce them quickly. We don't have to worry about different ammunition and different supply chains for different types of weapons. Just give me those and we'll send these people out there and hope they survive the battle. Lincoln was like, yeah, but there's gotta be a better way. So he, he had plenty of people coming to the White House showing them their new guns. Everything from multiple shot repeating rifles to different types of cannons and rockets and machine guns. I mean, all sorts of things. There's a Spencer repeating rifle where there's a famous story where he goes and a Spencer comes in and pitches his rifle. And this rifle, instead of having to load it from the barrel, you actually have a seven cartridge or seven shell cartridge that you can jam into the butt of the stock. This is the modern way of thinking as far as guns work. So Lincoln like is intrigued by this idea and he takes one of these and goes out with Spencer into the what's now the ellipse out behind the White House, and he takes seven shots into a piece of wood. Shows that he's actually a pretty decent shot. And then he goes to fight, uh, rhetorically, fight with the ordnance officer. As the head of ordnance is an old school guy who does not like the idea of these multi-shot weapons because you know, you've got a bunch of green troops that don't have much training. Now you're gonna send them out there where they can shoot seven shots very fast. They're gonna just shoot them very fast and then throw the gun down and run. Plus these things are much more complicated and it's muddy out there and raining all the time and you know, they're gonna get, they're not gonna work. So Lincoln had to argue with ordnance officers to push things like the Spencer seven shot repeating rifle. He did go to bat for this particular one and 
he ordered that it be put into service. One other thing I, that he pushed that became critical is ironclads. All the ships up until that point were wooden sailing ships. He did the same thing with telegraph. It was the first war that the president of the United States could send messages almost instantaneously, not like texting today, but you know, almost instantaneously, out to the front. He could tell the generals, you know, give them advice on what to do and get advice and find out what the status is and then use telegraph to get to other generals in other parts of the battle, which was all over the Eastern United States and even in the West. I do want to mention Lincoln did a lot to institutionalize science and technology. That remains true today. He began the National Academy of Sciences. And he tells Congress, agriculture is so important and we have some dusty desk, literally a one dusky desk in the back corner of some other department. We should have its own department for the Department of Agriculture and Congress created it at his request so that we could improve the yields, improve the efficiency of agriculture. And then he and, and Congress, I mean, he's working with Congress on all of these because they have to pass the laws. Now they passed the Homestead Act, which provided for westward expansion, passed the Merrill Land Grant Act to create what were called land grant colleges that were required to teach science and engineering. So he did all of that while while in the middle of trying to keep the country from falling apart. And a special thanks to David J. Kent, author of Lincoln, The Fire of Genius, the story of Lincoln, the lifelong learner here on Our American Stories. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.